Talk to my friend Drew. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen has died conservative to this guy for wisdom. straightforward with you for one you know i'm i'm ticked off folks i'm just you, you just i'm having one of those days i'm grumpy i'm uh, i'm agitated i'm irritable and you know a lot of this of course has to do well with what i'm reporting to you today what i'm what i'm reading in the news and look i'm a professional i'm gonna get through this just fine don't you worry about me it is what it is but i'm just telling you that that's how I'm feeling, that's what I'm fighting through. Because, you know, with this dumpster fire that is the Democrat Party, and of course, what's going on in America today, you know, sometimes you read something, you study something, something happens, and it's just the straw that breaks the camel's back, and that's me today, folks. Don't worry. As I said, I'll be just fine. But just bear with me. I am grumpy. You know, it's, it's a remarkable thing, the Democrat Party. They, um, they routinely, habitually get rich from their positions in office. That's not how it's supposed to be. These people, let me just put it this way, because I think this is what is so frustrating to me. You know, America used to pride itself on, on this belief that, you know, our government, you know, look, the, the other governments throughout the world, whether it's Venezuela, whether it's Russia, whether it's China, whether it's Europe, wherever you go, right, corruption was to be expected. Everywhere else, those governments were the most corrupt in the world. This was known in the world, but not here in America. America is the land of exceptionalism, of morality. A land that believes in unalienable rights in which people have flocked from all the corrupt corners of this earth to come here for the American dream. And that's shattered. That's shattered. Maybe, maybe. Well, I do believe it was once. I do believe once, at one point in time, our government was filled with moral men. That there was something to be proud of in terms of our government. And don't get me wrong, folks. I am proud to be an American. I am proud of this country and what it represents. But today it is shameful because it has never been more clear that our government, comprised of amoral men, most of them Democrats, by the way, have shamed this nation, have corrupted this nation. And how can we claim to be a beacon of hope and light to the rest of the world that's, that lives and bathes in corruption when we are not moral, when we ourselves are corrupt?
You know, the Democrats, they are the only individuals who seem to leave office and become rich. They get rich from becoming president. And uh, Republicans tend to, um, well, it it just doesn't happen that way. You know, before the Clintons, before Bill Clinton was president of the United States, you know what the Clinton net worth was? It was $1.3 million. Do you know what it is today or after he got out of office? $240 million. How about Obama? You know what the Obamas were worth when before he entered office, before he became president? $1.3 million. Do you know what the Obama's net worth is afterwards? $70 million. Do you know what Trump's net worth is? Do you know what it was before he went into office, though? It was $3 billion. Do you know what Trump's worth is after leaving office? It's $2.3 billion. He's worth less today than he was when he entered office. And yeah, there are other presidents, other, other um, Republicans and Democrats who've left office and been worth more than they were when they went in. But look, I mean, it's, it's normal to earn a certain amount of money after you leave office. I understand going and giving speeches. I understand making money. I understand going back to work and having certain offers. But not this. Not like the Clintons. $1.3 million to $240 million. The Obamas, $1.3 million to $70 million, and that will only continue to rise. You know, Nixon, of course, he was worth two. And after he left, he was worth 15. Ford, $1.4 million. When he left, seven. Carter, $2.3 million, a Democrat. And after he left office, he was worth $10 million. But earning $8 million or $5 million or $10 million more when you leave office is one thing. Compared to going from one to 240, from one to 70 million. And this is what I want to get to. This corruption, this corruption has gone on in this country for so long. And yeah, you know what? It did. It started with the Clintons. The Clintons at the time were the most corrupt political family ever to hold the, the highest office in our land. That's the truth. I mean, their Clinton Foundation in broad daylight that they started in 2001. It was supposed to be for charity. Do you know what they spent in 2014? $91.3 million. The charity, the Clinton Foundation. Do you know how much went to charitable charitable grants? $5 million. $5 million out of 91.3. Where did the other $85 million go? Well, it was spent on salaries. It was spent on employee benefits and other expenses. That means it went in the pockets of the Clintons. The greatest scam. At the time, the greatest scandal. And then we have the Obamas who come out of office and strike these deals with Netflix and so on and so forth that pay them tens of millions of dollars. You know what the Obamas have in, in common with Hunter Biden? They're overcompensated for skill sets they don't have. They're overcompensated for things and businesses they have no business being involved in because they lack the experience to do so. But we know why they get paid. When they leave office, and, they, and they, the Obamas have no experience in movie production, for example. I mean, I understand production to a certain extent. You know, that you attach somebody to it to give it, um, you know, greater exposure, to give yourself a greater chance of success in selling the product. But these deals, they don't come from nothing, come out of nowhere for no reason. Look, that's just reality. That's the real world. That's how it works. 
you don't pay somebody tens of millions of dollars because they either didn't already do something for you because you expect them to do something in return. You don't pay somebody tens of millions of dollars as a business out of the goodness of your heart. It doesn't work that way. It's a business transaction. You're paying something for a service rendered. Well, that service rendered is corruption. And, um, you know, this newest, newest story about Hunter Biden. Folks, Hunter Biden is an artist. This guy's an artist. I mean, this guy, what a life. What a life. Apart from the hookers and the, uh, you know, underage girls and the, the drug addictions and alcoholism and everything else that is not to be applauded, that is not moral. Well, on top of it all, this kid, this useless kid, and he's not a kid anymore, actually, by the way. He's an adult. I don't know if he's in his 40s or he's in his 50s, early 50s maybe now. This kid is, is, uh, is reaping a windfall. This guy's been paid millions and millions of dollars for nothing, for no skill set whatsoever, for nothing he brings to the table. The Clintons at one time, of course, were the most corrupt family in this nation. And then we had the Obamas, and they were more corrupt than that. And now we have the Bidens. And the Bidens are now the most corrupt political family in American history. That's right. And what's so frustrating, what's got me so ticked off, folks, is the fact that we've known we've had Hunter Biden's laptop, well, since 2020, since the election was ongoing. And, of course, the media... The propagandist media, of course, the Facebooks and the Twitters, they suppressed those stories. They censored them from being shared, calling it fake news, calling it Russian interference, whatever they did. It wasn't true, but we knew it was true all along. And now the revelations come out. I, uh, I don't know if, uh, if that story's spreading would have made an impact on the election because the election was stolen, and we'll get to that later. It absolutely was. We know this. We've known it in our hearts, our souls, and our guts all along. And it just becomes more and more apparent and obvious and confirmed by the day. But even with their mail-in schemes, their mail-in ballot schemes, and the interference... And all of the phoniness that went on in 2020, I don't know, maybe if people knew that Joe Biden was so corrupt, maybe if they knew about all these these dealings with foreign governments, maybe even the cheating scheme wouldn't have been enough to put them over the top. I don't know. But this is unbelievable to me that this was suppressed And we knew it, but the problem in this nation is not us because we know these things. We live in reality. You know, the left in this country, they live in a a fake cocoon. They they build a, a alternate reality for themselves in which no truth can come into that cocoon and change their minds. And their media consumption with CNN, NBC, and all the rest, the propaganda media, obviously they're not going to give them the truth. So they literally live in an alternate reality. You know, you could tell people, for example, still to this day, if they're a leftist, did you know that Brian Sicknick, the officer that Hillary Clinton says was killed 
by January 6th insurrectionist. Did you know that he actually died of natural causes of strokes, a couple of strokes, a heart attack? Yeah, yeah, the D.C. coroner actually reported that. CNN actually ran a story in which they said that happened to Brian Sicknick. And you could tell them that to their face, and they'll be shocked. Well, worse, they probably won't believe you. They'll call you a conspiracy theorist, even though the Washington, D.C. coroner confirmed it. But that's what we're up against, folks, and that's why I'm so frustrated. Because how do you get to the, through to the other side when they live in a lie? They live in an alternate reality. They don't live in the truth. We do. But Joe Biden claimed time and time again in 2020 on the campaign trail that he didn't know anything about Hunter Biden's business dealings. Nothing at all. And of course, now we know, not only did he knew about the Ukrainian business with the energy firm, the emails that said give 10% to the big guy. I, I got a question, folks. A very, very serious question. I don't know the answer to this. Maybe you can help me out. Is, is Hunter Biden using his dad or is Joe Biden using his son to get rich? Which way does it go? Is Joe Biden using his son or is Hunter Biden using his father? So I've got a New York Post story here. One of the many stories that has set me off in this aggravated state. State. Here is a New York Post story. At some point, the Biden White House will have to confront evidence of the president's involvement in his son Hunter's shady overseas business dealings. Well, that's where the Post is already wrong. And I'm not attacking the Post. I'm just making a point. And this is, the, this is what I am concerned about for this nation because the Democrat Party gets away with murder, literally, if you're Hillary Clinton. And there's never consequences, never repercussions. They never face anything. There are two Americas, and the pot is boiling over with our frustration. The Biden White House will have to confront evidence. Well, they're already kind of confronting it. And you know how they're confronting it? They're just denying it. They're saying there's nothing wrong. There's nothing to see here. And that's the problem. They're not dealing with it at all. They're not confronting it at all. This person should be impeached immediately. He never should have been allowed into the office. He never should have been a presidential candidate. But here we are in our present corrupt state. Let's go on with the article. Joe Biden insists he never knew a thing about Hunter's lucrative deals in countries where he wielded influence as vice president. But evidence abounds on Hunter's abandoned laptop of Joe's involvement. For instance, Joe invited Hunter's foreign associates to breakfast meetings at his vice presidential residence, and to his office in the White House. The laptop shows he took his son on Air Force Two to countries where Hunter was doing deals, and on at least one occasion included one of Hunter's business partners on the trip. And yet, this man, Joe Biden, lies through his teeth. Lies through his teeth. Among more than 100 events scheduled in Hunter's diary... At the VP's residence at the Naval Observatory in Washington, D.C., there are meetings which appear to overlap with Hunter's business interests. Breakfast with Dad is one such meeting recorded for 8.30 a.m. on November 19, 2015. Five photographs date-stamped on that day and taken at 10.03 a.m. and 10.04 a.m. appear on the laptop, showing Joe posing with four of Hunter's business associates, including Mexican billionaires Carlos Slim and Miguel Aleman Velasco. 
This is incredible. Now let's remember, though, because this didn't just start yesterday, and that's why I'm concerned. This started with the Clintons, remember. I got to stay focused, folks. I'm sorry. So Hunter Biden's got a secret art sale. Despite all of this coming out, despite the fact that we know 10% for the big guy and everything else, I mean, this is, this is so in our face. Hunter Biden's secret art sale? As President Biden's son Hunter prepares for an art exhibition this fall that could include selling his paintings at prices up to 500000 the White House is reportedly working with the, his attorney on a strategy to avoid ethical compromises. Here it is. Keep everything secret. This is from the Wall Street Journal. So sources in the art world are already saying, folks, that Hunter Biden, who has no artistic background whatsoever, he just jumps into it, and all of a sudden he's going to sell it from seventy-five thousand to five hundred thousand for each each piece, depending on the piece. He's an unknown painter. This is his first art exhibit in his life, and he's fetching up to five hundred thousand for one of his works. I mean, in in some ways, well, in some ways, this is a uh, a brilliant operation. I mean. What better way to uh, earn a living, as they want to say, to, well, let me put it this way. Art is subjective, right? So how can you question it, right? I mean, art is, you know, the price you charge for art is what people will pay. But who are the people that are going to be buying this art? And is it, a, is it actually because of his talent? Of course not. And that's what's appalling about this. This is in our faces after they have been caught red-handed in bed with the communist Chinese, in bed with the Russians, in bed with frickin' Carlos Slim now. I mean, now they have the audacity to do this. Hunter Biden and Joe Biden have the audacity to put this corruption, dangle it in our faces, hit us in the head with this Trump supporters, for four years we had to endure, we had to watch with front row seats as the Democrat Party impeached Donald Trump for, for crimes he did not commit, who invented out of whole cloth lies like Russia collusion to try and punish him and punish us and punish us and get rid of him, get him out of office, to destroy him, to destroy America. For four years, we watched the Democrat Party invent crimes. And now we have a front row seat to Joe Biden, who has actually committed crimes. And there is no effort to punish him for things he did. So Donald Trump is punished for things he didn't do. And Joe Biden, who is committing crime after crime in broad daylight... There's no effort to bring him to justice, no effort to right this wrong whatsoever. And that is what has me so fit to be tied, folks, so fit to be tied. And it's not just that I'm angry, I am worried, I am concerned, because as I said before, the pot is boiling over. I feel the frustration in me, and I can only imagine, because I speak for so many people, that they feel the same thing. 
What we have essentially in America right now is mob rule. You know, anytime a, a, well, a crime as it exists in the eyes of Democrat voters in the Democrat Party in this nation, whether it's George Floyd or anything else, they riot in the streets. They demand that justice be done. The media pushes Russia collusion. They, they accuse Donald Trump of staying in the same hotel room in Moscow as Barack Obama and Michelle Maibel and hiring prostitutes to come in the room and pee on him. They make this stuff up and then demand justice be done for something that never happened. But the mob controls this country right now, folks. And the mob is to be feared above everything else. The mob, if this persists, if this continues, and if, if, if justice is not brought to those who have committed real crimes, and false justice continues to be brought to those who have committed no crimes at all, well, this nation cannot persist. This nation cannot last. I'm telling you right now, this, this is bringing about, it's dangerous, okay? And you don't have to take my word for it. Just, I want to talk about Abraham Lincoln, you know? Let's, let's look through the prism of history and what Lincoln said before the Civil War, long before the Civil War, when he was a few years younger than me, just a state senator in Illinois, Mob justice was pervasive in America. All right? But in, in, in Lincoln's time, it was actually not as severe, not as dangerous as what's happening in America today because what Lincoln addressed was mob justice, but the mob he was talking about was bringing criminals to justice. But his point was that, look, society is, is not lacking, not wanting. In fact, we're better off with these murderers dead. But mob justice, circumventing a court system, circumventing the rule of law and the way our justice system punishes these people, is a fearsome thing to behold. And what was his fear, folks? It was this. This is from a speech he gave, the Lyceum Address. He says, and not only so with regard to the mobs, the innocent, those who have, have ever, ever set their faces against violations of law in every shape alike with the guilty fall, victims of the ravages of mob law. And thus it goes on step by step till all the walls erected for the defense of the persons and property of individuals and trodden down and disregarded. But all this even is, is not the full extent of the evil, Lincoln says. Whew. All right, here we go. By such, such examples, by instances of the perpetrators of such acts going unpunished. That's the mob. The lawless in spirit are encouraged to become lawless in practice, and having been used to no restraint, 
but dread of punishment. They thus become absolutely unrestrained. This is the Democrat Party. They are unrestrained, lawless in practice, and having been used to no restraint and no dread of punishment, are encouraged to become more and more lawless at our expense. He goes on. Having ever regarded government as their deadliest bane, that is to say that the government is supposed to protect the rights of all American citizens. The government is supposed to, to, well, justice is supposed to be blind. He says, having ever regarded the government as their deadliest bane, they make a jubilee of the suspension of its operations and pray for nothing so much as its total annihilation. While on the other hand, good men, this is us, folks, and this is what I am very, very fearful of. Good men who love tranquility, who desire to abide by the laws and enjoy their benefits, who would gladly spill their blood in the defense of their country, seeing their property destroyed, their families insulted, and their lives endangered, their persons injured, and seeing nothing in prospect that forebodes a change for the better, become tired of and disgusted with a government that offers them no protection and are not much averse to a change in which they imagine they have nothing to lose. Thus then, by the operation of this mobocratic spirit, which all must admit is now abroad in the land, the strongest bulwark of any government, and particularly of those constituted like ours, may effectually be broken down and destroyed. I mean the attachment of the people. He says, I know the American people are much attached to their government. I know they would suffer much for its sake. I know they would endure evils long and patiently before they would ever think of exchanging it for another. Yet, notwithstanding all this, if the laws be continually despised and disregarded, if their rights to be secure in their persons and property are held by no better tenure than the caprice of a mob, the alienation of their affections from the government is the natural consequence, and to that sooner or later it must come. And that's where it's headed, folks. That's where it's headed. We want this nation to endure. To endure. But when the other side has no regard for the Constitution, has no regard for our rights, who violates the law, who who dangles it in front of our face, what are we supposed to do? This has to end, and that's my point. This cannot continue like this. There have to be consequences. There has to be justice for these corrupt politicians who violate the law time and time again. There have to be, be repercussions for this mob. And of course, January 6th, is, is emblematic of this, and that's why it's so dangerous. I talked in the last program about January 6th, about this lie of how dangerous it was to the Republic. One person, Ashley Babbitt, dies of unnatural causes. Yeah, should they have in, gone into the Capitol like they did? No, but no one, no one's life was at risk. No one died of unnatural causes except Ashley Babbitt, shot by a Capitol Police officer. If they're so dangerous, if white supremacy was represented on that day, and Ashley Babbitt, a white female, was murdered by a Capitol Police officer, where are the riots throughout this country? The mob didn't then descend after seeing her killed on the streets of D.C. with hammers and rocks. 
They didn't break into stores and loot and riot because that's not who we are. That's not what we do. But the other side, for example, Antifa, BLM, they have been rioting, looting, killing, murdering for a year. And the Democrat Party justifies this. But the January 6th insurrectionists, well, they've got to be rounded up. They've got to be punished to the full extent of the law. And yet Kamala Harris and the Democrat Party raised funds to bail BLM and Tifa folks out of jail to defend their actions because their cause is just. The ends justifies the means, and they're a mob. Maxine Waters going down outside where the George Floyd case was being heard and Derek Chauvin, the Derek Chauvin trial took place and saying, essentially, inciting the mob, saying, if we don't get what we want, we've got to take to the streets. We don't engage in that kind of behavior, folks. That's not who we are because we are the law-abiding people that, that, that Abraham Lincoln talks about here. But if this continues to go on, if we continue to be insulted, if we continue to have no justice, if we continue to be targeted and attacked by our government and seeing our friends, our families, and other persons injured with nowhere to go and no justice to be had and no one to defend them, what are they supposed to do? They have to defend themselves. They have to stand up for themselves. And that is what Lincoln's talking about. It leads to anarchy and war. And I would remind you that 20 years after he gave this speech, the Civil War took place. That's why I say and contend we're in a cold Civil War. We are on the precipice of a dangerous situation. And the pot's boiling over. And I don't know how much longer we can endure this, folks. It didn't start yesterday. It didn't start the day before. It started decades ago. It started with the Clintons. Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Nancy Pelosi, any of these individuals, can you give me one good reason why I should trust CNN's reporting, NBC's reporting, CBS's reporting, the mainstream media's reporting? I mean, after four years of lies about Russia collusion, I already mentioned the PP hoax, PP tape, the dossier that was paid for by the DNC and Hillary Clinton's campaign. And after then having to watch this circus in which we paid Robert Mueller and his team more than $10 million to investigate Russia collusion, that he somehow colluded with Russia to steal the election from Hillary Clinton, of course, well, the results came back from that investigation and there was Zero collusion. After more than a year of promises from the Democratic Party that, that, that Donald Trump certainly colluded. And then we had the, the phone call with the president of Ukraine. They said it was quid pro quo. And then Donald Trump, of course, released the transcript of that phone call 
messing up Adam Schiff's, dirty Adam Schiff's, dirty Adam you-know-what's, claims of quid pro quo, and it proved nothing of the sort. And of course, the irony of all of that in the phone call is that Joe Biden admitted previously, while he was vice president, that he was actually guilty of quid pro quo, bragging that when his son was under investigation, that he told Ukraine, you know, you're going to pull your dogs off of this investigation, or I'm withholding a billion dollars. If you don't do it, I'm going to go down and talk to Obama and I'm going to tell him to withhold a billion dollars. If you don't do what I say, that is quid pro quo. And then Donald Trump was impeached for committing no crime at all, for a perfect phone call, which Trump called it, and it was a perfect phone call. And then we continue on and they pull people from everywhere. Whether it's Megan uh, Rapino, whether it's Michael Avenatti, whether it's the, the porn star, time and time again they uplift and uphold these people and push them forward and attempt to destroy Donald Trump, but they never could succeed. Everything the Democratic Party says is a lie. For a year, they are the ones who supported the defund the police movement, and now they claim that it's the Republicans who are the ones who were crying out and trying to defund the police. They aren't capable of telling the truth. They are the party of liars. And that brings me to the point about the 2020 election. They hated Trump. With every ounce and fabric of their being, they did everything they could to get him out of office, impeaching him twice. And, well, let's revisit just Georgia, Fulton County, State Farm Arena. I will never, ever forget the moment I was... Folks, maybe you did this too. I'm watching. Eyes glued to the TV. What is going on? It looks like Trump's going to win. This is, an, this is an amazing moment. And I'll never forget watching Fox News and hearing, well, State Farm Arena, the Democratic County, Fulton County, they've stopped counting votes at 10.30 p.m. 10.30 p.m. And then the reason that was given was that a pipe had burst. And that's the reason that they had to stop counting votes. And then we later learned that that didn't cause any disruption in the vote counting because it was a leaky urinal. But that message was delivered on national TV. Another lie. So why did the counting stop? Well... It came out, of course, later. We had video evidence of those who were monitor monitoring the ballot counting process being told something on video that we couldn't hear, and then they left for the night. 
And after they left, the vote counting continued. That's the famous, infamous video in which they pulled troves of ballots out from under a table, obscured from view, and continued counting without anyone monitoring. What they foolishly didn't know, of course, was that there were video cameras in the room. And I want to pull up here, bear with me here, a little bit of a history lesson again. So this is in reference to what happened at 10.30 p.m. when the vote counting stopped. Later in the night, Regina Waller, the Fulton County Public Affairs Manager for Elections, told ABC News that the election department sent the State Farm Arena absentee ballot counters home at 10.30 p.m. Partisan observers and some poll workers claimed they were told to leave the Fulton County tally site, but that four election workers stayed behind, pulled suitcases full of ballots hidden underneath the table, and then scanned them without any supervision. And so this manager, Regina Waller, on election night, she's the one who told ABC News that the election department sent the State Farm Arena absentee ballot counters home. But they didn't go home. And then they backtrack, and what do they say? Richard Barron, a Fulton County elections director, pushed back on the claims. The claims by the observers that they were told to go home well he pushed back and said no observers were explicitly told to leave but that some had started to go after they finished their work well their work is to monitor the ballot counting process so that doesn't add up that doesn't make any sense at all finish their work their work's not done until the counting's finished anyway officials or contending of course that all right you know this so they told them to go home for the night the counters that is okay and so election observers and members of the media started to leave and then all of a sudden the election supervisor on site got a sudden phone call from baron all right richard baron fulton county's elections director everyone's told to leave everyone's packing up for the night the election observers happened to already have left the premises. Everyone's getting ready to go home. And then the magic phone call happens from Barron. And he says, keep scanning the ballots that had already been prepared. And Gabriel Sterling, who was a top election official in Georgia, said it was then that workers pulled the boxes of ballots back out and continued scanning. Now, these ballots, of course, were never out. They were under the table the entire time. And this is the problem with the situation we're in today in America. We can't get an answer for anything. Nothing, not a zip. This is one of a million incidents that happen that we cannot get answers for. And the answers we get are lies on top of lies. They say, well, a pipe burst and it interrupted the the ballot counting process. And then we learned that it was a urinal and it didn't affect anything at all. So there's the first lie. And then we learned that the poll watchers 
were told the counting was over for the night. And so they leave and go home, but then the counters continue counting. And we have the video evidence that we can see with our own eyes. And basically the fact checkers say, you didn't see what you saw with your own eyes. And this is why, well, this is why there's absolute distrust in the Democratic Party and government in general. It's just like with COVID, folks. It's just like with COVID. I mean, you know, when Florida reopened, when Florida got rid of all the mass mandates and social distancing and so on and so forth, and their cases went down, their deaths went down. Meanwhile, in California, which doubled down, tripled down on, on the lockdowns, mandated masks forever, mandated social distancing, forbade outdoor dining at restaurants. But our cases in California went up and our deaths went up. Well, then, in that case, you could see with your own eyes as well. And I, um, you know, I, this is the comparison. I, mean, I, re I relate this to the Vietnam War because in the Vietnam War, you had something called the credibility gap. And what that meant, what that signified, was the disparity between what the government was telling the American people and what the American people actually believed. But the difference, of course, in Vietnam was that that war was being fought thousands of miles away. So we relied on a media to give us the appropriate information. And of course, Walter Cronkite is the one who famously went over there to see with his own eyes what was happening. Because the, 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 the government was telling the American people that we were winning the Vietnam War. And the, gov and the American people were not believing it because we kept sending more and more troops there. And it just didn't jive. It didn't square just like this stuff with the voting, just like the 2020 election, it just didn't add up. It didn't make any sense. How is it that nearly every state, nearly every state that had counties that just stopped mysteriously voting in an unprecedented fashion, how is it that miraculously every one of those counties suddenly flipped? Every one of those states flipped for Biden when we woke up in the morning. It didn't make sense. It doesn't add up. Your rational brain tells you something's wrong. Just like your rational brain tells you something's wrong when an incident at the State Farm Arena that is said to have stopped the vote, count, vote counting process, the vote tallying process, which is a pipe burst, and then you learn that the pipe burst it wasn't even a pipe burst, but it was a leaky urinal, and then you see video footage that confirms what the narrative was, the truthful narrative, not the leftist propaganda narrative, the narrative that poll watchers were told to go home for the night, and then after they left, the counting continued. But then the leftist media tells you, no, no, that's not what happened. Um, uh, you know, um, everyone was told to go home, and then the poll watchers went home first, but then there was a call that happened, and then, the, then after the poll watchers are gone, it was just like coincidental. And, you know, the, the poll counters, the, 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 you know, the vote tallyers, the vote counters just continue for the night. Doesn't add up. Doesn't make sense. And 
The credibility gap in this country has never been greater. It's greater than it was during uh, Vietnam, certainly, as well. And we now have news story after news story of the Biden administration and Democrats going in and forcefully with their lawyers trying to stop audits. Look, if you, if you don't have anything to hide, if you're confident in your victory, if you're confident that everyone was, everything was A-OK, everything was kosher, what do you care? Let the audits happen. Let people check it out if you don't have something to hide. But that's why I relate what happened in 2020 to the Houston Astros World Series victory. Because that didn't make sense either when they went from winning, I think, 80-something games the previous season to winning 101 games and then going on to win the World Series. And you had report after report that season at home games, at the Astros' home turf, different opposing teams saying, what's going on here? This is weird. They're banging trash cans in the dugout. They're... um, This is weird. Every time I throw a pitch, every time I throw an off-speed pitch, they're banging trash cans. What's that about? It doesn't make sense. Something's up. And of course, the Astros' reaction, the players, were to ridicule and mock their opposition, calling them essentially, you know what, conspiracy theorists. But of course, it came to bear later on that the Astros had been cheating. All those accusations and feelings and gut feeling and intellectual feeling when they heard the banging trash cans... Because the Astros, of course, had set up a camera in their own outfield at home so they could steal the pitches. They could see what, how many fingers the catcher was putting down so they could then let the batter, the Astros batter, know to expect an off-speed pitch to give them a benefit, to cheat. But how do you go back after they've won the World Series and quantify exactly which at-bats resulted in runs. And they could only cheat at home games, for example, right? Well, it's the same with the Democratic Party. They could only cheat on their home turf. They could only cheat on that massive scale in places like Fulton County, where they owned everything. This is... um, I was always worried about this, and I wrote about it in my book, Back last November when this was happening, and I said, you Republicans have got to fight this tooth and nail. You cannot give in and you cannot concede to them because you've been put in your positions to protect this republic. And I know what you're thinking. This is what I thought to the Republicans. You are calculating in your minds that, you know, the um, the republic is better off if we just concede and let this go than to fight back. And they couldn't have been more wrong. Because I want to tell you another little history lesson. This is what happened in the contested election of 1876 in America. Samuel Tilden, well, he was the Democratic, not, Democratic presidential candidate, and Rutherford B. Hayes was the Republican presidential candidate. Now, prior to the voting taking place in this country, Rutherford B. Hayes publicly admitted that he, that, that, well, what, what, what Rutherford B. Hayes said was that if he lost that election in 1876, it would be because the Democratic Party cheated. It would be because of 
cheating with the votes themselves and voter intimidation in places in the South. Because remember, this was 1876, uh, about a decade after the Civil War had ended. And sure enough, Samuel, sure enough, Samuel Tilden won the, uh, the election. But it was contested because the Republicans knew that Samuel Tilden and the Democratic Party had cheated just as they predicted. But they had stones, folks. They had backbone. And the difference in 1876 and 2020 is that the Republicans didn't give up. They didn't cave. They took it to the end. They resisted the pressure to cave and and fold like cheap lawn chairs. And in the end, they persevered. And they hashed out an agreement in D.C. in which Rutherford B. Hayes won the presidency. And, you know, we in this country, in terms of our politicians, like to kick the can down the road. And that's the problem. Because when you kick the can down the road, the problem becomes, well, it's exacerbated. The pains that are felt down the road are much worse than the pains that would be felt if you addressed them in the immediate here and now. Why put off tomorrow what you can do today? That's what they should be saying to themselves. But now the republic is, uh, is greatly at risk because and it's the Democratic Party's fault. Look, I don't want to believe that 2020 was a stolen election. I want to feel secure. I could accept if we had lost fair and square. But the problem is we've been given no assurances. The Democratic Party has mocked us and ridiculed us. Let, let, me just, let me just say it this way. Imagine if in November, early November of 2020, November 2nd, as the, as the votes were being tallied throughout this nation and reporters were reporting on the states that were won and lost and trying to figure out who won the election, imagine that Joe Biden was leading in the swing states. Imagine that Joe Biden was leading in Georgia. And suddenly at 10.30, the voting stopped. And imagine there's a video of poll watchers being told something and then leaving. And then troves of ballots mysteriously being procured from underneath tables. And counting continuing while the poll watchers are absent. And then you wake up the next day, the counting continued, and Donald Trump is declared the victor of Georgia. You see, that's what's amazing about this. You know, the Democratic Party, if the same thing had happened to them, would have taken this all the way. They would not have conceded. They would have, well... They would have done more than what Trump did. They would never have given up. I just want you to think about that. This is Drew Allen. I'll be right back.
folks, this is Drew and Alan. This is all related, folks, don't worry. It's all intertwined, it's all part of a greater narrative and truth that I am parlaying to you, my enlightened listeners, my enlightened audience, those of you who have seen the light, live in the light, and aren't in a cocoon of lies and falsehoods like the left. Remember hydroxychloroquine? When Trump touted that hydroxychloroquine should be used and could be used to save lives against the COVID-19 virus. Well, you know, the, the, the Food and Drug Administration in the initial stages well, they issued an, an emergency youth authorization. That was back in March 28th of, of uh, 2020, which allowed hospitals to treat COVID-19 patients using hydroxychloroquine. But on June 15th, the agency rescinded that authorization. And, you know, the FDA said... Um, the known and potential benefits of hydroxychloroquine no longer outweigh the known and potential risks for the authorized use. And yet, hydroxychloroquine's been around forever to treat malaria. And, you know, the drug had, had, had been found to interfere with the coronavirus. And, and studies... Uh, from France, from Brazil, from China, had all proven and showed that the drug would help ill patients. But of course, this anti-Trump media claimed, you know, that, that no, you know, because Trump's for it, we have to be against hydroxychloroquine. And then, of course, not too long ago, maybe a month ago now, maybe a little more than that, I forget. Well, it came out that, oh, well, if you give patients hydroxychloroquine and zinc, uh, well, it saves lives. And my point in bringing this up is that the Democratic Party attacked and ridiculed Trump for touting the benefits of hydroxychloroquine when, in fact, hydroxychloroquine, it turns out, worked. And that's yet another thing that was proven to be true. And it's another example of the Democratic Party and the left lying. They wanted people to hurt. They wanted people to die. That is not hyperbole, and I stand by it. I have nothing to apologize for. I sit here and speak the truth because the stages of this Marxist cancer were so late. We don't have time for BS PC culture anymore. But they wanted people to hurt and die because they wanted to, to weaponize those deaths and coronavirus to harm Donald Trump and his chances of success in winning the 2020 election. And that's what that was all about. You know, we've got we've to acknowledge here, folks, that there is a, con, a contention, a... a a group of individuals in this country, they're not all just politicians. Some of them are just billionaires, like Bill Gates, who um, 
who think they are our rulers, who think they're better than the American citizen, who, and who reject the Constitution. They don't believe we're smart enough to run our own lives. This is the uh, slave owner mentality, by the way, that still pervades this country. Now, the slave owner, of course, believed that the slave was happier and better off in a system in which his or her life was run by, well, the slave owner. And that's the condescending, despicable attitude of the leftist Democratic Party today and people like Bill Gates. Now, Bill Gates and uh, the Billionaire Club, they just had their uh, annual event in Sun Valley, Idaho. And... um, Bill Gates gave a speech on Friday about climate change to billionaires and millionaires. And, uh, you know, it's funny, folks. Uh, So many of these attendees flew in on private jets, by the way, to hear this climate change talk from Bill Gates that the airspace, (laughs) the airspace, not just in Sun Valley, but the airspace from as far afield as Michigan and Canada had to be temporarily closed. Too many private jets. And, um, you know, among those in attendance at this event, of course, were uh, Jeff Bezos, Tim Cook, Apple CEO, CIA Director Bill Burns, Disney Chairman Bob Iger, and Mark Zuckerberg. (laughs) The group had sessions on public health, criminal justice reform, and the global economy. Why are these uh, elitists meeting to discuss the future of America? Why are they meeting to discuss public health, criminal justice reform, and the global economy? (laughs) Warren Buffett was there, of course, as well. So these people, these few people, these elitists, are meeting to discuss uh, the future of America, the future of our lives They're meeting to discuss how they should tell us to live, what policies they should promote to rule our lives. These people are, well, they are uh, vile individuals. So, you know, Gates, he says, uh, I am offsetting when he, you know, Gates flies private jet everywhere he goes, of course, but he says he's offsetting his carbon emissions by buying clean aviation fuel. (laughs) I'd love him to elaborate. What is clean aviation fuel? Uh, Are are there multiple types of aviation fuels? Some are cleaner than others. Uh, Bill, you... I'll stop there. Um, But he's also, you know, making excuses for his private jet usage because, uh, well, you know, he's, uh, he's funding low-cost housing projects that use electricity instead of natural gas. And so he says, I've been able to eliminate it, and it was amazing to me how expensive that was, that cost to be green. We've got to drive that down. This guy, Bill Gates, you know, there is no correlation between being rich and being smart, by the way. Uh, the ability to be a totalitarian and run and run a business and be a CEO has has nothing to do with actual practical intelligence. This guy doesn't understand apparently Bill Gates, just like our ener- energy secretary, that electricity, um, water doesn't fuel that. Um, 
electricity isn't fueled by uh, carbon dioxide or oxygen or any other matter of, of things. Uh, electricity uses fossil fuels. Um, that's where it comes from. That's how we get electricity. And so these people are strolling around uh, this elitist event talking about their plans for, for you and me, how to cut our carbon emissions. And um, I don't know. It's just a session on criminal justice reform was also on the agenda, as was immigration reform. I mean, all these people are Democrats, by the way. Have you noticed that? These people aren't conservatives. They're not Republicans. They're all Democrats. They're all Democrats that are billionaires and millionaires. The Democratic Party is the party of the elite rich, by the way. And this is the difference, you know. I feel the need to explain conservatism, especially if you're a young person listening to this program. Conservatism. Well, it, it is an extension of the Founding Fathers and their revolutionary belief that our rights don't come from man, that they're unalienable <clears throat> and come from our Creator. The conservative-minded individual is the mindset of uh, those who believe in freedom and equality for all. We are the originalists. We're the ones who believe in constitutionality and who believe in the higher ideal of individual choice. And we are optimists. We understand and believe that the individual, himself or herself, their potential is unlocked by the necessity of that individual working for, fighting for, and achieving whatever it is that they hope to do in their lifetimes. The conservative uniquely understands that the government is an obstacle. The victimhood is nothing more than slavery. That the Democratic Party and their embrace of big government who wants to rule your life is counterproductive to the, to the citizens' own desires for success. You see... We conservatives live in the real world. We don't live in the cocoon of lies that the Democrat wraps themselves in. We don't judge ourselves on our intentions, but judge ourselves on the results. And the Democratic Party is, well, by, by their very nature, Well, they can't succeed. They can't benefit the American people. They can't benefit the citizen. Because the citizen does not benefit from an attitude and belief 
that they can only succeed with the assistance of the government, that they can only succeed if they take from another person, because our success is not dependent upon, well, I should say, our failures aren't related to someone else's success. You know, individual responsibility is an important lesson for everyone to learn and embrace. We have to learn from our mistakes and pick ourselves up and move forward. The Democrat doesn't learn from anything. You know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing twice and expecting different results. Well, the Democratic Party tries the same thing a hundred times and expects different results, and they are clinically insane. Socialism, communism, abject failures. And yet the Democratic Party would have the American citizen believe that, well, they're going to do it better. They can try it better. It's just because they haven't done it yet. But we conservatives want to teach a man to fish so he can fish for a lifetime. The Democratic Party wants to give a man a fish so he'll come back to the Democratic Party time and time again as a slave and be dependent upon that Democrat for their meal. We want to unleash the human potential in every man, in every American citizen. The Democratic Party wants to suppress the potential, and they want that. The Democrat wants the American citizen to believe that they can't accomplish anything because they're a victim. A victim of inherent racism and a victim of this and that. You know, um, Charlottesville just took down a statue of Robert E. Lee. And I find this hilarious, folks. You know, the Democratic Party wants to preach and teach critical race theory to our children in our schools because they want to teach uh, our children that if they're white, just by birth alone, because of their skin color, well, they have a um, a um, well a benefit. If you have white skin color, you have an advantage in society. And if you have black skin color or some other brown tone, well, you're a victim just because of your skin color. And the uh, Democratic Party now is trying to defend critical race theory, which teaches your children to be racist. It teaches minorities that they can't succeed. And it teaches whites that they shouldn't succeed because it's unfair. Well, they want to they wanna teach this, of course. And they defend this by saying that, no, 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 they just want to teach people our history. And yet they're tearing down statues of Robert E. Lee. You know... If America is such an inherently racist, horrible place, and it's so important that our children understand that if they're white, they're racists, and if they're black, they're oppressed in perpetuity, they should be putting up Robert E. Lee, Robert e. Lee statues on every street corner, outside of every school, outside of every uh, government building, in front of every home in this country, to make it impossible not to stare this country's inherent racism and history in the face every day. 
Do you understand how stupid the Democratic Party is? We want people to understand our history, but we're taking down Robert E. Lee statues. That's how nuts this is, folks. All right, I'll be right back to close out. Now, ignorance is a truly dangerous thing, folks. And ignorance is not displayed more obviously anywhere in America than in the Democrat Party, in the ranks of the Democrat Party. And that includes those individuals, of course, who are serving in the Biden administration. Now, it is apropos that, as I just tried to explain, conservatism, from my point of view, on this program, well, a story's broken earlier to make my point that the Cuban people, thousands of Cubans, are protesting in the streets. Now, they're protesting against the communist Cuban government, which has oppressed them for generations now, because Cuba's a communist country. And they are waving American flags. They're shouting down communism. And they're saying things like, Cuba isn't yours. Now, what's truly remarkable about this, folks, and my point on this, from my perspective, that I think is worth pointing out, is that the, the Cuban people, you know, they, they seem to understand the the greatness of America, what America represents, what is unique about America, more than the Democrats in America today. The Cuban people, in their minds and hearts and understanding, are more American than the Democrats in America. I mean, in this country, we just recently had July 4th, in which Democrats, prominent Democrats, came out shouting down America, talking about how we're systemically racist and unfair and what a terrible country we are. And yet in Cuba, where they are actually oppressed and live in a, under a communist regime, they're holding up and proudly waving the American flag because what it represents to them is freedom. And they're protesting, of course, against communism and its consequences, it's, its results that lead to poverty and shortages and, well, zero rights for the individual. And the Democrats are so ignorant, tone deaf. Julie Chung, by the way, this is, this is the acting assistant secretary for the U.S. Department of State's Bureau of Western Hemisphere Affairs. How about that for a title? Well, she said via Twitter, that Cubans were exercising their right to peaceful assembly to protest COVID and medicine shortages. This is amazing. They live in a communist country, and she's saying they're exercising their right to peaceful assembly. They don't have a right to peaceful assembly in Cuba. It's communist. They don't have rights. They don't have the right to peaceful assembly. And so they're being arrested and rounded up. 
Here's the full uh, tweet that she puts out, this ignorant Democrat. It's embarrassing, really. I'm embarrassed for Julie Chung. And, of course, she is serving in our government and doesn't understand that Cuba, under communism, the Cuban people don't have the right to peaceful protest. She writes, Peaceful protests are growing in Cuba as the Cuban people exercise their right to peaceful assembly to express concern about rising COVID cases, deaths, and medicine shortages. We commend the numerous efforts of the Cuban people mobilizing donations to help neighbors in need. What are they talking about? This is so unbelievable. They're not protesting rising COVID cases, deaths, and medicine shortages. They're protesting against a government that does not extend them rights. They're waving the American flag because they want what we have. But uh, this gets into something else, folks, that's very important as well. Now, remember, of course, that in 2016, Barack Hussein Obama went over to Cuba and gave a speech. It was the first time an American had, I believe, um, well, stepped foot on Cuban soil in a very long time. And, you know, he, 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 he basically groveled at the feet he, of Fidel Castro. He went over there and he condemned America. He talked about how we have our own problems of systemic uh, racism and injustice, economic inequality in this nation. He's saying this, of course, in a communist country. And, and, I, and part of what he said in the speech, he, he said, of course, well, we cannot and should, should not ignore the very real differences that we have, have that we have about how we organize our governments, our economies, and our societies. Cuba has a one-party system. The United States is a multi-party democracy. Cuba has a socialist economic model. The United States is an open market. Cuba has emphasized the role and rights of the state. The United States is founded upon the rights of the individual. Despite these differences, on December 17, 2014, President Castro and I announced that the United States and Cuba would begin a process to normalize relations between our countries. And he, he, he says also in the speech, I've had frank conversations with President Castro. For many years, he's pointed out the flaws in the American system. Here's what I was talking about from memory. Economic inequality, the death penalty, racial discrimination, wars abroad. But the thing is about Obama and the Democrat Party is that they admire Cuba. They admire communism. They want communism because they want nothing more than to adopt a system here in which they have all that power. He goes over there and makes these comparisons about the differences between the United States and Cuba, and yet his policies and the policies that continue and the speech and verbiage from the Democrat Party today could be from Fidel Castro's, well, he's dead now, but from his mouth. We're an open market? They're a socialist economic model. That's what they are trying to put in place here. Cuba has emphasized the role and rights of the state, but we're founded upon the rights of the individual. Our rights 
have never been under greater threat since our founding. The Democrat Party constantly emphasizes the rights of the state to tell us to do everything. This last year with COVID, of course, was definitive proof of the way they view their role and our role in America. They're the master, we're the servant. We have to do what they say. They can shut us down. They can tell us and mandate masks on our faces in the name of public health or whatever else it is. And of course, the present dictator in Cuba, Diaz-Canel is his name, well, he said that U.S. trade sanctions had created the economic misery on the communist-run island. Of course, it's not communism itself that's wreaking economic havoc and misery on Cuba. I mean, that's been the case there forever. No, 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 it's the U.S. trade sanctions. You see how these people deflect? How they never accept any responsibility? for their own actions and policies that are creating such wide-scale poverty and suffering? This is what the Democrat Party does. I mean, look, with BLM and the advent of this defund the police movement, which has had absolutely disastrous consequences across this nation, as we've talked before, of skyrocketing violence, in Democrat-run cities, especially, particularly, well, they want to now blame the, the Republican Party for being the party of the defund the police movement, that we're the ones who wanted to defund the police. It's not their fault, even though they're the ones who came out and called for defunding the police. No, it's always, this is what they do. This is what Marxists do. They project, right? So they're responsible for creating a problem, and then they point the finger and blame somebody else. And then they, they act like they're the ones who are trying to solve it. It's so sick and gross, folks. But that's really the point of all this. And look, this is not going to get media attention after a day or two. Because this is not good for the Democrat Party and their message that America is a horrible place. It's a... It's a racist place. It's the worst place in the world. And yet here we have Cubans who are living under communism who are waving proudly the American flag because they want to be America. And that's what I've said for a long time. You know, the problem in America is that we're a bunch of soft people who haven't had to fight for anything. Not my generation, the millennials. I'm 34, as I've said before. I'm proud of that because I'm 34 and I'm a conservative. And I understand America, and so do the Cuban people. But the Democrats in this country and young people, well, they haven't experienced communism to its full extent. I mean, it's coming. It's kind of here right now. We can see what it looks like. But we don't know. And this is a point I've made time and time again as well. I mean, the reason that we had a revolutionary war that gave birth to this greatest nation in the history of the world, the reason that we have unalienable rights in this Constitution is because the Founding Fathers had experienced life under totalitarianism, under a king. So they knew what that was like. They had tasted the rot of totalitarianism. And so then, when they came 
to what is now the United States of America when they lived in the colonies here and experienced freedom away from a king and his iron-fisted rule thousands of miles away? Well, when King George III then tried to bring down his iron fist and exercise the age-old notion that the colonists' rights came from him and then he could do whatever he wanted to the colonists, that their rights came from man, well, they were, they had seen both sides and they knew how bad it was under this dictatorship mentality, this totalitarian mentality. And so having experienced both, they knew how good it was to have freedom for the first time. And that's why they were willing to risk everything, their lives in sacred honor, to go to war and seize their freedom. But we don't have that in America today. The Cubans understand what it's like, but we don't. And so here we have the Cubans waving proudly the American flag, while in America... We have these Olympic athletes, for example, who turn their back on it, who want to burn the flag, who use these opportunities or seize these opportunities on the national stage to discuss how terrible America is. This is proof that these people are absolute fools, that they're ignorant, and it's honestly embarrassing for them. Anyway, it's... It's an amazing thing to behold right now in America, folks, and in this world. The Cuban people living in communism want to be American and they want freedom. And the Democrat Party and the Democrat voter in America wants to live under communism. Whoever thought they'd see the day, right, folks? The Cubans wave the American flag, and Americans burn it. It's something else to behold, folks. It's something else. But I sincerely hope that individuals in this country who have succeeded, like Rapino on the women's soccer team, like Colin Kaepernick, Barack Obama, and all of these individuals who enjoy the prosperity that only America can offer them. We'll see this instance in Cuba and see the pride that the Cuban people have for our flag, for the American flag. And maybe stop and realize for just a moment that America is the greatest nation that has ever existed in the history of mankind, that America has always been great. That America is great because we have overcome so many obstacles. And that places like Cuba want what want desperately what we have inherited. 
I love this country, folks, and I will fight for this country because I know, like you know, that America is great and America is great because its people are great. And while there is much to discuss and much to bring us down in terms of the Democratic Party and individuals in this nation who don't understand the greatness of America, well, you and I do. And we will prevail. We will continue to stand up and fight for this greatest nation in the history of the world because we're right and we're moral and we are just and we the people will answer the call to defend America. This is Drew Allen. Thank you for listening. <laughs>